0: When we throw something away, there is no way. Uh, it simply means that plastic leaves our sight, but but in reality, it continues to exist.
1: This is Red Skies, brought to you by Karen Marus and Kelly Doherty.
2: Produced by Medali Shabazz. Red Skies is real educated discussions on sustainability knowledge impacting every society. We're people
1: that work in sustainability and also went to school for sustainability, which is where we met and became friends. Our goal is to continue to learn and to inspire ourselves and others to do better. We'll tell stories about sustainability and answer questions like, why should I care? A plastic straw Is that why bad? bad? To the earth the really warm? What is How do I convince my spouse that matters? What footprint? is a carbon footprint? We are New Yorkers leading regular lives. And doing our best to live sustainably, but we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers, but together we will search for them. This is Red Skies. So, Kelly, I have a lot of questions about plastics. I know, you know, we talk about it a lot as a society, and I know they have banned plastic bags and straws, and now we're forced to drink out of these weird paper straws that are just terrible. Oh my gosh, me too. Um, And I've honestly been wondering how big of a deal is plastics, really? I know I try to cut out plastics when I can because I generally understand it to be bad, but I can't really understand why this is such a big issue. I mean, we can recycle, can't we? I've also heard that there are these islands of plastics in the ocean. Have you heard about these? Yes, I actually have. Yeah, some are as big as the state of Texas, which to me is just wild. So there's just islands the size of a state floating through the ocean. That's insane. And... I was doing some research and they really don't have accurate estimates of the amount of plastics in the ocean. So I guess no one really knows, but I've read that every year we put somewhere between 5 million tons and 12 million tons of plastics into the ocean. So if you cut that in half, which is somewhere around 8 million tons, that's the equivalent weight of 90 aircraft carriers every year that we literally dump into the ocean and plastic is not that heavy. So I think that (laughs) must be a massive amount. I just, I really can't understand how it gets there. And I don't know if you have the same questions, but I really cannot understand how it gets from my kitchen to the ocean. And why can't we just like
2: recycle and call it a day? Yeah, actually I have a lot of the same questions and really, like, how has this problem gotten so bad, right? And and when did it start? Right. Who's responsible for it? Um, and what can we do about it to reduce our impact, right? Um, so in order to answer some of these questions, I called our friend, Augustina, who we call Tati. Um, and she actually wanted to answer some of those same questions and ended up sailing the ocean for six months. She got in a boat and she sailed the ocean (laughs) that's insane yeah exactly she learned how to sail and met with experts over an eight month period Um, and it's really exciting what she did she actually left her uh, like completely changed her life she ended her lease um, on her apartment and learned how to sail and collect trash for six months Yeah, Um, that's pretty amazing. I would love to hear that story. It's an amazing story. Her bravery, um, what she overcame, and what she learned really about plastic uh, was really interesting.
1: Well, I'm excited. Let's hear it, Kelly. I'm Agustina Bezada.
0: I am a social entrepreneur. I co-founded Unplastify, uh, which is a social enterprise to change the human relationship with plastic. When I finished my graduate studies at at Columbia, the sustainability management program, um, I started working as the director of a recycling center in Brooklyn, a very special place where uh, canners, uh, white people that collect cans and bottles to make a living from the streets, uh, collect and take to this place, uh, this really amazing place. So I was literally working surrounded by mountains of plastic every day. Uh, And that is when my interest for this material and all these questions about where is it going, what happens with all the plastic that doesn't end up here uh, started in my mind. So that is, I think, the the, the aha moment in which I clicked and I, I started digging into what is happening with plastic. So uh, this idea of, of uh, embarking on a on an adventure and and going um, to the ocean and see by myself with my own eyes what was ending up there and what what was the reality of plastic in, in the most remote places on Earth. So the idea was not from one day to another. So it started uh, forming up in my mind and and with my partner Ignacio, we, we started thinking about it crazy idea of going back to Argentina sailing. Um, so, and so to go to Argentina from the U.S., it's not that you go, go you know, do coastal sailing because of currents and winds are going to be against you. So the way to go from North to South America is to cross to Europe. So kind of the, the route was the... Uh, uh, Basically um, defined by by our destination, and uh, so the, the plan, more or less from scratch, was to say from New York to Gibraltar through two two stops only in the middle uh, from Bermuda and Azores, and then from Gibraltar through the coast of Africa and then to cross to Brazil. That was the the initial plan, and that is what. And a year later, we ended up doing that route. Allowed uh, allowed us to go through or very close to what what is supposed to be the northern gyre. Uh, gyres are these giant accumulations of plastic uh, in the oceans. Uh, there are formed these these accumulations are formed by by, by the the ocean currents, and they are bad, badly called islands, but are not real islands. Of course, they are. Kind of soups. Actually, during during uh, the, the first crossing uh, in the North Atlantic, uh, we we passed really close to to one, and and the, the amount of plastic that we started seeing was amazing. Like the the, the frequency of of uh, of different pieces of plastic that we're going uh, through was was amazing, and the samples show that there was plastic uh, everywhere.
2: How long did it take you to plan your trip?
0: So a trip like this uh, usually takes a lot of time uh, preparing, and we did it fairly quickly, uh, and that meant eight months. So we, we started with the idea, and, and we didn't, we were not fully convinced about it, but we decided to move forward and see where that led. So. We we started looking for a boat, and very quickly, uh, like a month or, or two months into that, uh, we found the perfect boat for that. Uh, and and then we decided to move on, and everything started uh, putting together. It was so intense. In March, we 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 left everything. We sold everything. We gave up everything we had, and we, you know. Uh, to the very basic and simple uh, items that we needed and we moved into the boat. Day after, snowstorm, I remember that, (laughs) and I was like, oh, uh, is this this crazy or not? Uh, But but, uh, after all, we were happy about our decisions, every step of the process.
1: So Tati, her husband, and a few friends set sail from New York, and the first leg of their journey is to reach Europe. And just a few days out to sea, they start to encounter their first patches of plastic even before reaching Bermuda. So not that far from our coast. And she explains that there are these visible plastics in the ocean, your water bottles, balls, fishing nets, things that you can identify. Those are called macroplastics. And then there are invisible pieces of plastic that you can't see. And those, she finds out, are all around us, even when the ocean looks very clear. Those invisible pieces of plastic are called microplastics. Tati described that even when they were in really serene, beautiful parts of the ocean, you imagine these crystal blue waters and dolphins jumping through just the most picturesque, beautiful scene. She would decide to take a sample there just out of curiosity because she thought to herself, hey, there is no way there are plastics here. And she ultimately did find that every single place she took a sample, there were these tiny microplastics, these invisible plastics floating in the ocean.
0: So we took uh, we took samples between New York and Bermuda. Uh, it was uh, uh, after the yeah, I think it was after the second or third day started taking samples, and we also started seeing plastic. So. And on the one hand, was the plastic that I was able to, to, to take with the help of everyone uh, aboard um, with a device that the Institute uh, Five Gyres gave to us. Uh, it's called the manta troll. And it's a basically like a, a device that, that maps and, and filters the surface of the water through a, a hole that it's the sight of the hand
2: that's like plastic that's like floating on the water
0: exactly wow. and we would see them from from far and then as, as you move uh, closer would be like oh i can't believe this is plastic again you know and um yeah and we, we were not able always to pick it up sometimes we would just try to document it with pictures and, and take the ge- geolocation to uh, understand where where were these uh phases so, as an example, uh, in, there, are, there were some samples in which in one hour, you know, going through this hole, the size of uh, my hand, filtering the surface, we would find 315 pieces of plastic in just one hour, and going really, really slow at five knots. Um, so, and and in every, every single... Uh, um, sample we took, we found plastic. That's really, really sad. Uh, So, so that was my big uh, aha. Uh, There were days that, you know, sea was amazing, it looked like a mirror, there were dolphins, it was paradise. And I would be like, okay, ha, I'm gonna take a sample here because I'm sure this is pristine, this is amazing. Uh, And then, boom, I would find plastic again. So, this is everywhere. That's, that's my big, big conclusion. It's literally everywhere. For a lot of it, it's about the products that we use in our daily life that somehow escape uh, the management, waste management collection systems, and, and they end up in nature. And they end up in our rivers, and our rivers take them to the sea, and the sea breaks them down into smaller pieces. So it's a lot about the products that we are surrounded with.
2: Tati talked to us about the rate of recycling being so low in comparison to what is actually being produced. And what she further added to that was that this is where she began to define the problem and to think about the solution. So she expressed that plastic is a remarkable material and is one of the greatest characteristics of it is that it can last a long time. But the real issue is that we don't use it in that way, and we instead use it as if it's a single-use product. Um, and Tati further described to us that this is actually a design problem and not a recycling problem, because even if we continue to recycle, we're still going to be producing a product that is being used as single-use. I used to work in
0: recycling, right? And I used to Think that that was the solution uh, to this problem and, and, and the problem, the solution to waste, basically. The the thing I began to realize is that the, the systems and the incentives are not in place for everything that is recyclable to be recycled. So the rates of recycling. Are discouraging, and it's not. It's not because we are not doing a good job. I mean, in, in part, it is. It, we we have to continue recycling in our homes. We have to do our part, and municipalities and, and government needs to manage that and and and, and take it to recycling centers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what what I see happen is that, and until we design, a system that demands these recycled products, recycled materials that we intend to produce by recycling, this will not work because we it's simple economics. If if we don't demand these products, why are we recycling? On the other hand, it's just too much, and it's just the way we are using it. That is if you if you get into your home and you go to a kitchen and then you realize that your kitchen is flooding and there's a water everywhere because it's just too much water and it's coming in like from everywhere, what what do you do? Do you get a bucket and, and you try to with your little bucket try to take out the water or you just close the tap? So what I mean by that is that if we don't cut and we don't reduce the amount of plastic flow of materials getting into the system. It's it's never ending the recycling. Like we we're it's never gonna be enough. So we need to redesign, we need to rethink how are we how are we using this material in the first place. So we always say that it, this is an this is an amazing material with very, very uh, amazing properties that 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 came to to revolutionize the way we live in a good way. Good for many many different reasons, and but, but particularly for the for the characteristic that it has that it lasts a long time. So then I see that we are using it for single use, for example, and and and. I am an industrial designer. So I think as a designer, so why would you use a product that lasts more than 500 years to the grade for a product that you would use 15 minutes, right? So, so to me, that's a design problem. It's, it's not a recycling problem. It's not something that you can fix by doing that. It, it's just, it needs to be redesigned. So that's, that's when we started uh, talking to different experts along the way. uh, When we touched land, we we interviewed and and connected with different experts from different fields, from uh, researchers to business people, to government people uh, to understand what were the solutions or or what were the different approaches to, to this problem. Um, And, and a lot of it is about, it's about redesigning and, and, and yeah, reflecting and re reevaluating how are we using this material. Yeah, so the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, um, and by the way, I'm a huge fan of Ellen because she's a badass sailor and their approach of quantifying the losses in the economy, uh, because that's the language of decision makers. So with plastics they, they did basically that the same. So they analyzed how much of this value uh, in material is lost, right? And they estimate that less than twenty percent of plastic is recycled. Uh, a lot of it is incinerated. Fourteen percent, forty percent is landfilled. So forty percent it's buried somewhere, uh, and. 32% leaks into the environment. A third of the plastic that we produce and we put into the market, it's leaking into nature. It's escaping the management systems and is ending up, for example, in our oceans. So, this way of quantifying and, and measuring the, the losses, I think it's it, it helps a lot uh, to to rethink the systems that got up here, and you know now we know uh, how it works. Now we know the harm, uh, this system, how how it's right now. Uh, we know uh, we know why it's not working. So it helps redesign. So basically, they they, they talk a lot about that too, uh, about redesigning and rethinking. And after measuring, right, after knowing and understanding uh, the flows and, and the value loss, how we can really find that uh, in order to take advantage and, and be much, much more efficient with, with the resources we use. Because um, we know now that the resources are not infinite. And, and so we better rethink how we are using them and, and we better uh, redesign and, and transform gradually, maybe, or or, or, um, or fast if we can uh, our systems in order uh, to stop having uh, such losses, right?
2: So what can individuals do to help reduce the problem? This is one of the questions that we had asked Tati, um, and she broke this down into three parts. The first was to educate, the second was to evaluate, and the third was to reduce through action.
0: One thing that we realized uh, with this adventure and, and the adventure of starting a, a startup uh, with this mission um, was that education is key. So we, we decompose education in two pieces. Uh, the one piece is what we call exploration. It means to connect with the issue. It means to realize. It means to reflect, to say, ah, yes. Oh, yes. I am literally surrounded by plastic every day. In my daily life, I use it too much. Then the second piece of of education uh, for us is the information piece. So, if if you connect with the problem, but then you are not informed, you don't know uh, what choices are better than others. You don't understand what what's the, the key of the problem, or 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 what are the alternatives. I mean, it, it's incomplete. Um, and, and the third end is action. You can be aware, you can be informed, but if you don't take action, it's lost. So education for us, it's, it's everything. Who is responsible for doing this? And we are all responsible for doing something. We can all be part of the solution.
2: So in order to understand uh, my personal impact, I actually evaluated my plastic. Um, I collected my plastic for a little over two weeks, kept it on my balcony in my apartment, and then went through all of it, which was interesting for me was that the majority of my products fell into two categories. They were personal care items and cleaning products. The personal care items, I attempted to make a change to the amount of plastic So what I did was I actually contacted some of the companies and asked them if there were alternatives such as glass containers or a refillable location. And all of them pretty much provided me the same um, answer, which was, no, we don't have it at that at this time, which was pretty discouraging because. A lot of these products are difficult for me to change to another company because I've been using them for so long and I have a connection with that product, Um, but it was very um, difficult for me um, to hear those responses from them. The others, the other category that I spoke about was cleaning products, and for that, that is a journey I'm taking right now. I'm trying to work with companies that have refillable um, products, so that I'm not buying new plastic containers of um, my sprays and my floor cleaners and my soaps and all of that. But that's going to be a continued journey for me.
0: I am positive uh, with a in The future. Uh, if not, I wouldn't be working on this because it it, it, it could be very hard. Uh, but I I really think we uh, need to change uh, our development model. And and this is broader than plastic. It, it's not only about plastic. It's about everything. And and it, everything is connected. Plastic it, it represents the problems we have with. With consumption, the problems we have with capitalism—we are seeing the problems of the current model everywhere, in many, many different complex situations that happen around the, the, the world right now. And and it's time to put our best brains to to work and 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 shift towards uh, more sustainable in all. And, and not only environmentally, I'm talking about social environment and economics. Uh, I think it, it, we have problems in the first axis of sustainability. Um, I think we need to to work towards that, and and plastic is just a component that that will be part of that. And this is a lot about how we produce, how we how we uh, consume.
2: What would you tell somebody that was interested in getting involved with the solution for the problem? What they do um, uh, you know to be part of that
0: I always try to start from from the basics. Uh, I always try to make people think about the daily life, their daily life and and, and go through the, all the different plastics that they interact with in in their daily life from the moment they wake up right? Just a list. Make a list. And then try to identify one that you think you can live without. And, okay, commit to that and start from it. Start from one. And then once you are used to that, go to the next one. It's very difficult to change from one day to, to the other, everything. One of the questions that we asked every expert we interviewed was um, what what was um, the thing they do that had greater impact? Most of them mentioned how they shared with their family and friends, how they convened family and friends to take uh, new habits. So it was, it, it was shocking to me that a scientist that dedicates his life to go into the ocean and analyzes plastic pollution in whales for example, would tell me, "Oh, convincing my family to uh, be uh, more plastic-free, right?" So it, it's very powerful, and and we can all do that. What works for me uh, as a driver is the the vision of a positive outcome. So it's it's having a, a, a more balanced world. It's having a less uh plastic pollution uh, it's 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 that positive vision and I think it's important when when we try to convince others when we try to talk to other people to highlight the problem but also try to sh- to share your vision towards the, a, a better uh, a better better world and and not just be negative about what is wrong we need to go against that. Because what, what drives change, is, it's a positive common vision. It's a journey. Uh, it's, it's, it's a movement. We can all be part of these positive movements towards a more unplasticified world. And, and let's invite everyone.
1: I loved how Tati talked to us about making one change at a time, even if it's a small change. And that every time we do something, it will add up. So first starting with taking stock of how much plastic we use in a day, a week, a month. And then from there, just finding one. One that you can say to yourself, I don't really need this one, or I have an alternative for this. And then you make that a habit. And once that becomes habit, you start with another. And that to me is so much more manageable. I really learned so much from our chat with Tati and I was just struck by her courage, a regular New Yorker with limited sailing experience who went in search of real answers. We often get inundated with these images of plastics in the ocean and the environment and it seems like it's all doom and gloom and it feels like the burden is all on us to fix, but Tati's approach to looking at it in a systematic way and looking at those issues was really refreshing and encouraging to me. And I was just really encouraged by her optimism.
0: Well, I I I like to take the expression of throwing away. Uh, We don't have that in Spanish, but in English, in English, it's very clear uh, to to use it uh, to explain that when we throw something away, there is no way, right? When you use a material that does not decompose or it takes. Hundreds of years to decompose. Uh, there is no way it ends up somewhere in the planet. Uh, it simply means that plastic leaves our sight, but but in reality, it continues to exist, uh, and and it ends somewhere, and it poses a threat to to nature and to us as well. So we need to start from understanding that this material is virtually infinite. So it, it will not uh, decompose. So we are using these materials in, in increasingly uh, larger and larger amounts. And, but it's accumulating.
2: The way we can do this is by educating ourselves on how big the problem is. So things like listening to this podcast, reading Tati's logbook, or even going on the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website and learning more. More resources will be available on our website to help you do just that, and we'll be including links to Tati's company on Plastify and her logbook, which I encourage everyone to read. As always, please let us know what you found interesting from this episode, and we'd love to hear how you are educating, evaluating, and reducing your impact. Thank you for listening to this episode of Red Skies. For more information on today's episode and upcoming episodes, check out our website, redskiespodcast.com. As always, our goal is to share interesting stories and continue to learn. And don't forget to follow us at redskies underscore podcast on Instagram.